Welcome back to Uncorked, another podcast brought to you by Team Corker. I am stoked to have Will Gadara on the pod today. Will is someone who wrote a book that I read in 2022 called Unreasonable Hospitality. You can Google Will or you might have dined with Will. People know a lot of things about Will. But what you might not know is that that book, Unreasonable Hospitality, might have been the very best business book that I read in 2022. Unreasonable Hospitality shook what I thought was the world of business. What if it wasn't always about the bottom line and it's about hosting things to the top line, your guests, your customers, your clients, and making a little bit of magic sprinkled around the folks that you serve and how that will undeniably impact the bottom line. Now, Will is known for his incredible experience serving folks in the hospitality space, and he has now gone on to do that and so, so, so much more. When I reached out to him back in 2022, he was busy. He was busy starting new ventures and growing his family. And he said, reach out to me again in the spring. Perhaps I'll have time. So I did reach out to him again in the spring and he said, I'm still busy. And his incredible executive assistant who communicates like a human and not a robot said, he's now been called for jury duty. And all of these things happen and somehow the magical Jenga blocks of calendars aligned and we were able to get on the mic. This is also a special conversation as we have a mutual friend. He was on the pod last week and his name is Seth Godin. And to know Seth Godin and to be friends with Seth Godin is like meeting in a pasture of purple cows. People that just leave you feeling like you too can make a dent in the universe and sprinkle a little bit more magic all around. Will, thank you for your time. And to my listeners, I hope you enjoy this conversation. It struck my heart and it made my word for this month be undeniably unreasonable. I can't wait to hear what you think. Welcome to the show, Will. Well, Will, you might get the award for the longest time coming. I think I reached out to you six months ago, begging you to come on the pod. You told me to follow up with you four months later, and I certainly did. And here we are, and I'm so grateful. So thank you for joining us today. Hey, in my defense, for anyone listening that thinks I'm just a diva, I, I did have a baby in that time, and that was the reason for the pun. I, just, I need the world to know that. I need you to know that having a baby is beautiful, and also that saying no is perfectly okay. And so this is a beautiful dance of like, there's time and space to say no, and we can dive right in because I was relentless in wanting to connect with you. And in my relentless pursuit, I tried every angle possible to say, Will, I really, really want to chat. And the truth is that I had just listened to your book via audio while I was doing yard work in Canada. And I was so inspired and Mm. I just wanted to know so much more. So before we dive into that and talk about the book and, and frankly, your life after the book, can you introduce yourself and who are you? Will today in 2023. Hmm. My name is Will. I'm a lifelong restaurateur, perhaps most known for uh, the restaurant I used to own, 11 Madison Park. I'm the author of the book, Unreasonable Hospitality. I'm the host of a conference called the Welcome Conference. I'm a husband to a woman named Christina, a dad to two kids, Frankie and Sonny. And these days, in addition to doing stuff around the book, I have a company called Thank You. Thank You is a hospitality agency that works with companies outside of restaurants and hotels to help them build relationship capital. Hmm. That's a mic drop because I claim the Corker Collective to be a human capital 
capital business. And if you talk to many venture firms, they'll say we're all about capital. And I like to think that we put the heartbeat into companies' bottom lines. And there might be some Mm. similarities for us to riff on there. I like oh, I that. that. I have to ask, there's there's a lot of buckets there. There's a lot that's keeping you busy. And I'm wondering if you can share what, what you're most excited about right now. My gosh, that's hard for me. Like, it's almost the same as asking me which of my kids I love more. Mm. Although I can't answer that. My daughter, I'm so into my daughter right now. <laughs> and that doesn't take anything away from my son, but I'm like obsessed with my daughter. No, I everything I'm doing right now is just sparking joy in different ways. Mm-hmm. I love to create little magical worlds in the restaurants I open. And mm-hmm. while I sold my entire restaurant company at the beginning of 2020, I am working on a couple things, long lead time projects. But because I love obsessing over every detail of a physical space, and then one day seeing other people walk into it and lose themselves in it. I love talking about hospitality because I believe that the more people, um, whether in life or work, start to pursue people and relationships through the lens of hospitality in the same way that they pursue whatever product they put into the world, the happier they'll be, the better their businesses will do, and the nicer the world will become. And so I have a ton of passion for that stuff. Yeah, I'm kind of into all of it in in different Mm -hmm. ways. And I'm trying to build an ecosystem where everything I'm doing supports the other things, and yet everything kind of itches or scratches a different itch. Mm -hmm. Okay. There's a lot there and I love it. I just have to ask, well, I want to ask two questions. And my first is about your definition of hospitality and where you came to love the experience that is exceptional hospitality. I'll answer the second one first. I mean, I've always wanted to be in the restaurant business. My dad was a Mm -hmm. restaurateur. He was my hero growing up. Honestly, like had he been a plumber, I would have wanted to be a plumber. I wanted to be like him. And it just so happened that I fell in love with the thing that he did. I never wanted to be a chef though. I was like being the guy throwing the party. Um, And, you know, you can trace back in any love affair, like some of the inflection points along the way. Probably one of the greatest was my dad for my 12th birthday, bringing me to this restaurant called the Four Seasons, one of the great American restaurants, not there anymore. And that night, like me and my hero, my dad, my best friend sitting across the table from one another, it was the first time that well, it's the first time I ever wore like a fancy blazer. It was the first time I dropped a napkin and someone picked it up and returned a new one to me and called me sir. It was the first of many things, but I don't remember what I ate. I don't remember many of the details. I just remember the way that it made me feel. The quote that I love most about hospitality is by Maya Angelou. People will forget what you say. They'll forget what you do, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And that was most certainly the case that night. I mostly remember that for a few hours, the world ceased to exist outside of that table and me spending quality time with the person that I loved the most. That restaurant put the world on pause. I talk all the time with my teams at the restaurants about why our work matters. I think anyone in any discipline needs to name for themselves why their work is important because if you don't, it's really hard to bring your most fully realized self to that work on the difficult days. And in the world of hospitality, my gosh, we can help people celebrate some of the most important moments of their lives. 
we can mm. give them the grace to forget about their most difficult ones. We can make the world a nicer place by being really nice to everyone that walks through our doors. We can create these magical worlds that need in a world that needs more magic. Mm. And so that was one of the moments, but there's been so many more along the way where I've been impacted by watching someone care for someone else, by being on the receiving end of someone caring for me. And the more you receive hospitality, the more you give it, the more you become addicted to wanting, wanting to give it more. Um, my definition is from someone that I interviewed years ago when I asked her what was the difference between service and hospitality. She said service is black and white and hospitality is color. Mm. Service is a part of the product. Service is the thing we do. In my world, service is bringing the right plate to the right person within the allotted amount of time. Hospitality is the depth of the connection you make with them. It's the extent to which you create the conditions wherein they are able to more deeply connect with the people they're with. Mm. It's how everyone is left feeling at the end of the transaction. Wow. Well, I I love this deeply and dearly because I have been um, I have been able to be a guest to some exceptional hospitality experiences, and I have never worked on the restaurant side. Yet, what I want you to know is that the best business book, the best leadership book that I ravenously digested in 2022 was yours. And I am not in the business of food at all. I mean, I did bake 4,000 cookies one time for a bike race. And uh, <laughs> I did that in my own kitchen. And that was wild. Yet that is the extent of my hospitality as it relates to food. And you speak so much. I mean, even using the word service and hospitality. And what I want you to know is that your book resonates so deeply about the opportunity we have to create hospitality, and I'm going to use that in quotations, in every interaction. You know, it, it, it's not only in the business of service and the business of restaurants that we have an opportunity to surprise and delight and to make people's day better. And there's nothing I find more infuriating than thinking that robots can like lead the future and a robot can do something. And I'm like, gosh, I'm here for a robot when it works. I'm not here for a robot to make me feel special. And so I have to ask, was the intention of your book to lead all business leaders to lead better businesses? Or was the intention of your book to to really help inspire the world of hospitality as defined by Will. Mm. My hope for the book was that people in my industry would connect with the mm. ideas in it that perhaps give them the ability to take the things that they were doing intuitively and approach them with a bit more intention or give them the words to articulate the things that they already held near and dear to their hearts. But my bigger hope for the book was that it would transcend what has to this point been considered the hospitality industry and yeah. in doing so change the definition of what the hospitality industry can be. Because mm -hmm. I believe whatever you do for a living, you can make the choice to be in the hospitality industry. And mm -hmm. there's also data behind that, right? Like globally, we are a service economy. More than mm -hmm. three quarters of the global GDP is in the service industry. So that means statistically speaking, if you listen, if you're listening to this right now, we do the same thing for a living. We are in the business of serving other people. Mm -hmm. It's just the approach that we take to doing that, that defines which industry we're in. And I believe that approaching work and 
life, which I'll get to in a moment, through the lens of hospitality is the ultimate win, 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 win. It makes the people we serve happier when they feel seen and appreciated and a sense of belonging and generally welcome. It boosts our bottom line because the moment people feel a genuine connection to your business in any way, shape or form, they are going to be that much more likely to frequent it again, no matter what product you're serving. It is good for your team, A, this is more business stuff, but retention, recruiting, if you give people the gift of giving other people gifts, it makes the work more satisfying and more empowering and gives a sense of purpose that actually makes people want to do the work for a reason beyond just the receipt of a paycheck. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, listen, there's nothing more energizing than seeing the look on someone else's face when they receive a gift that you're responsible for giving them. And mm-hmm. If we all bring more of that into our work and into our lives, we will be happier and the world around us will be happier. Mm. And so, yeah, my hope was that the hospitality industry would no longer be defined as restaurants and hotels, Mm. but that the hospitality industry would start to be defined as whatever businesses make the choice to be as unreasonable in pursuit of how they make people feel as they are in the product they're serving those people. I'm hitting the pause button on this sweet episode to tell you about something that you might like. Our newsletter, we call it The Corkboard. It has all things juicy, whether you are looking to keep in touch between episodes or find out more about our coaching, development, or hot new jobs that we're working on. The link is in our show notes. Your inbox is sacred and your time is too. So now let's get back to the episode. Okay, we're going to go two places here. One, we're going to go to unreasonable. You keep saying it and I had to write it down because I'm like, good golly, what if, where else in our lives can we be unreasonable? And I'm wondering right now for you, where is a space or a place or a project that you're looking at through the lens of unreasonable? Like, just listen to that word, unreasonable. You're going to be outlandish and extravagant. And I want to also caveat this, that it could be seen as a lot of privilege. And I want to um, ensure that unreasonable doesn't have to equal only for those with a lot of money or a lot of a resource that may be hard to come by. Let's acknowledge that unreasonable can come with zero dollars and a lot of heart. Um, Oh, a hundred percent. I don't think unreasonable hospitality has anything to do with price. It has to do, it's not about giving more. It's about being more thoughtful. Well, unreasonable also like can have a negative connotation. Like you're being unreasonable is a way to shut people down, but it's only about what you're focusing that unreasonableness towards. Mm-hmm. Right. You look at any where I got to that was because if you take a moment and look across disciplines, the most successful people in the world are unreasonable in pursuit of mm-hmm. their discipline. Mm-hmm. Steve Jobs, LeBron James, Serena Williams, yeah. Martin Scorsese, like you name anyone come the best at something without being relentless, without being yeah. unreasonable in their pursuit of that thing. And I just think that not enough people have made the choice to point that same amount of relentlessness and unreasonableness towards graciousness Mm. and that it can be profoundly transformative if you do Mm -hmm. again to your bottom line to the people around you but also Mm -hmm. just for your own general sense of happiness and well-being yeah okay tell me where are you being unreasonable right now what does unreasonable look like in your own life because i think publishing a book is unreasonable it's a lot of work it takes many moving pieces. It's a even though there's books being published, I mean, I'm sure hundreds are getting published every day. 
it's an outlandish, it's an unreasonable feat, especially on a timeline or a time frame that works for you. You have two children, you're running and selling businesses, got it. What else is unreasonable? And I almost want to know what's the, the um, smallest, you know, in business, we always talk about smallest viable audience. I'm like, yes. what's your smallest viable and reasonable task or project right now? Oh, I mean, friendship. Oh, say more, would you? Well, I mean, okay, I'm being unreasonable and trying to launch businesses. Those take a ton of work, right? And you need to like throw all of yourself into them. But think about the relationships in your life and your friends and think yeah. about like i don't know i have if you have like a group of friends from a long time ago and and you said you'd be friends forever and slowly you're probably losing touch because everyone's too mm-hmm. busy and no one takes the lead in reaching out and you can just choose to be unreasonable in pursuing those friends and be the person that picks up the phone first or mm-hmm. extends the first invitation mm-hmm. or sees something online that makes you think of that person and then just rather than letting the thought letter into the sky, like grab onto it and send someone a gift and a random act of kindness. By the way, here's the thing. It's actually not that unreasonable, right? But it is compared to the status quo. Um, I crave community and I regardless of how busy I ever become, always make the choice to carve out time to pursue it. And so if you're talking about the smallest viable product of being unreasonable in pursuit of people, I think friendship. Yeah. Because by the way, it doesn't take very long at all. I had a friend who lost his dad a year ago. He's my age. He lost his dad too young. And I called him the next day and I said, hey, I'm going to call you every single day at 9.30 a.m. And if you don't want to talk to someone, don't answer. If you do want to talk to someone, answer. And know that one day in like four or five months, we'll probably stop doing this. But every single day for the next four or five months, you can expect a call from me. Some would consider that unreasonable because it's just trying a little bit harder to pursue someone. It doesn't take much out of your life though. Mm. And you like get to pursue someone you love. And so like a lot of the time when I have these conversations, this is fun how you're doing it because we talk about business, 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 and then find our way back to life. And we're kind of going the opposite direction. Mm-hmm. Because by the way, I think the same lessons apply in work and in life. It's all relationships and how you pursue one relationship should teach you a lot about how to pursue another, even if they fall into one bucket of your life or the other. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think anyone can make the choice to just start being a bit more unreasonable in how you pursue people. And you can just pick one individual. Mm -hmm. That's the smallest viable product. (sighs) You are making my heart beat faster. The spoiler to our last question. We're not there yet. Um, Because (laughs) I really believe that relationships are the only currency that matter in our lives. And I was actually actually having this conversation last weekend with some old friends and we were sitting around a table like we're not new friends like we don't often meet new friends we've been friends for Mm. a long time and yet there's not quite as many of us as there once were and you know things change and lives get busy and the importance of friendship and the importance of community and I think it was Steve Jobs who actually said oh no it wasn't Steve it was Bill Gates he said Mm. that at the end of his life his friendships are going to be something that he cherishes the most. And they were friends that he had made in university and how he had stayed in touch with them. And uh, I think the common denominator is we're all busy. And the unreasonable ask and the unreasonable piece of it is when, you know, bring your kids, let's hire a babysitter so that your kids can have this and we can go do this. And 
you know, what, what are the conditions that need to exist so that we can continue to honor and cherish a really special thing called this friendship? And yeah, it matters so much. It's the sweetest form of hospitality, in my opinion, because there's no financial exchange. It's really like a heart exchange. And what a gift. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, the reality is, is you're never too busy to do the things you decide mm. are important to do. Mm. And so this entire approach to thinking is just about thinking differently about what's important mm. in business. Like no one's not going, if you're a car manufacturer, no one's going to say that they don't have a budget to put tires on the car. And yet plenty of companies will say they don't have a budget to actually make sure that the people who buy those cars feel loved and cared for and seen and all of the things that you should feel when you're buying something like a car, which for many is like a life-changing moment the first time it happens. Mm -hmm. um, the tires are necessary. The hospitality is not. I'm trying to get people to redefine the word necessary. Well, I'm going to give you an upgrade. You didn't ask for one and I might not be qualified to give you an upgrade. I really love the word essential. And I think that the tires are as essential as the hospitality. Hmm, I and... like that. That's a better word. Uh, you know what? You're, you're totally qualified to give me an upgrade. I think that was just a strong edit. That was a good edit. I'll give you the edit. I'll give you the suggestion. You can choose to accept or decline. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I believe that the reason your book resonated so deeply and so dearly is that the quest for unreasonable hospitality must exist inside of every organization where I would beg to ask the question, what is the point? Mm. And if we're not going to show up and be unreasonable, what are we doing with this one precious and wild life? As our friend, Mary likes to say. Well, I could riff with you for a very long time. And I think that your book will be essential reading for everyone that has the joy of going through our training program. And I just can't say it enough. You translate, you're so industry agnostic and you have transcended hospitality of being a relationship with a food or a place that one sleeps. And I can't thank you enough for it. It really, really made a dent. Thank you. You're filling my gas tank. I appreciate it. Great. I mean, one time it will be your battery, but for now we'll go with gas. <laughs> <laughs> we have to jump. And our final question that I must ask you, Will, is what is making your heart beat faster today? You know, it's funny. It kind of almost goes back to unreasonable how it, that could be taken in one of two ways, right? When people are feeling anxious or nervous or overwhelmed, their heart beats faster. And yet when I think about the movie Bambi uh, being Twitter pated, for that, your heart also beats faster, right? Like your heart starts to beat faster in either extreme, like crazy anxiety or unfettered love. And I hinted at this before, but my gosh, I have a 26-year-old daughter named Frankie, named after my dad, who... Wait, is she 26 years old or months old? 26 months, 26 months. Yeah. <laughs> Did I say Same years? Month. Did I say years? You oh. said years. It's like you're too young <laughs> to have a 26-year-old no, yeah, daughter. I had my first kid, real, real young. No, 26-month-old daughter named Frankie. And I am rediscovering, or not even rediscovering, I'm discovering levels of joy that I never knew to exist before. And it's pretty cool. That is so cool. Well, one thing I want to know for sure is that you might be the coolest dad to Frankie, like your dad was to you. So if you're following mm. in the footsteps of a hero, I can't wait to hear what Frankie has to say about you 26 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> you're so sweet. Hey, thank you for uh, having me on. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you for your yes. I want you to know that sometimes the most unreasonable thing is to say yes when you would rather say no. That's not lost on me. So hmm. thank you for your yes. Thank you for your time and go forth and have a beautiful day. Oh, hey, before you go, you know, listening to podcasts on this thing called the internet, it's a wild ride. And what would be so helpful on our wild journey is if you would be so kind to jump on and give us a review. Four, maybe even five stars. It really helps. Thanks for joining us.